And, uh, and we believe that it's through the Word that God speaks to us. And so uh, that's why we're going to be doing that today. That's why we're doing this uh, throughout the book of John, that God has a word for us today. And so we're starting from the very beginning of the book of John, in chapter 1, verse 1, and it'll be on the screen as well for you to follow along. It's a bit of a Dr. Seuss tongue twister, this one, so I'm going to see how I go. I didn't get through it properly this morning, so we'll try again. Uh, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Well, uh, good afternoon. My name's Gav. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you with here today. Like Jacob was saying, you've joined us on a fantastic week. We begin, we kick off our series, in our major series for the year, the book of John. Um, and the great, the great thing about this book is that, as Jacob was saying, it's all about Jesus. Uh, here at City Light, as Jacob said, that we are a church that's on about Jesus, and so this book is great for us to look at as a church, to grow in our love of him and to share uh, him with our world. So I want to encourage you, um, as, we, uh, as we look through this book, to make the most of this series, is to even maybe go f- and read the book of John for yourself. Uh, what I'm going to try and do is, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do is write a bunch of Bible reading notes to go with this series. And so if you're keen to be a part of um, reading the Bible and having questions and having uh, uh, like a little, I guess, a Facebook group around reading the Bible, the book of John, write in your slip, keen for that, uh, keen for the book of John uh, reading, and uh, we'll follow you up, create a group, get some questions, and you can share things we're learning and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's a great way, I think, to dive deep into this book. And as I often said, this book is like deep enough for an elephant to swim in and shallow, shallow enough for a child to play in. And so we want to jump deep into this book and uh, really see who Jesus is as he's revealed in, the, in John's Gospel. But I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll have a look. Let's talk to God. Uh, Father, we want to thank you that uh, each of us are here uh, because you've, you, you desire it, so you want us to be here. You want to speak to us. Pray that um, we would have hearts and minds that are ready to be addressed by you. We want to pray that the, the week we've had, the week that's coming, you would be able just to quieten that down for a minute. And so we can be present here and listen to your voice. I want to pray for us if we're feeling cold or distant, 
worried, scared, or anxious, that what we hear this afternoon from you would just be uh, a comforting word, a reviving word, a refreshing word. We're going to pray for us who don't know you yet, Lord, that this would be a, this would, we would see who you are, see especially Jesus as he's revealed through the book of John. So Lord, we're going to pray for wherever we're at that you would just use this afternoon. We want to thank you that you are here by the power of your spirit and that you, you would use me as your servant to speak only what you want me to say. Just help me to speak truth, your truth. So Father, bless our time in this word we ask. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I, wonder, I wonder, you know, are you the sort of person that likes to meet new people? Being introduced to someone. Or like me, you find it a little tricky, a little difficult. Uh, you know, if I know I'm going somewhere new or somewhere where I'm going to meet new people, I get really self-conscious and I want to sort of try and hide in the corner as much as I can or hide behind my wife. Problem is, I'm six foot three, she's at five three. I can't hide anywhere. Uh, being this big, I always just stand out in the crowd. And that's just how it is. How it is. More like a giraffe, really. But I feel like sometimes... Or maybe you're more like Katie, who likes meeting people, who likes making new friends, and will regularly be the last person to, to leave the social gathering, much to my frustration. It's funny, when Katie and I were dating, um, Katie was in her last year of high school, and we were dating, and uh, so Katie had this whole network of friends that I had never met, whole world that I had never been a part of. And, uh, uh, and so Katie wanted to try and meet, bring our two worlds together a little bit, so she wanted to uh, get get her friends to meet me and me to meet her friends. And uh, they'd heard a lot about me and I heard a lot about them and so she wanted to introduce us. Problem was, I was not that keen to meet her friends. I was not that keen to meet her school friends. Katie was three years younger than me and I already felt awkward dating a younger girl. Uh, she was at high school. I was out of high school with a job. I didn't want to be the weird old guy um, <laughs> dating a high school girl, driving a Datsun Bluebird, you know, pressing my girl with my car. I don't know. I was <laughs> I wasn't that keen for that. But anyway, for Katie's sake, I decided that I would meet them. And I can remember one of the first times we properly met was her high school formal. Yeah, so you're laughing at that already, right? Yeah, right. It was awkward. Look, I knew no one apart from Katie, and I was, felt like and I was the old guy coming back to a high school formal. And I walked in, and I uh, saw all her friends there and all her guy friends there, and they were all looking at me, staring. That's what I felt like anyway. They were all staring at me. And uh, it was like this standoff. They were looking at me, I was looking at them. We were both glaring at each other, sizing each other up, um, intimidated for one another, I think, too. I knew, I, at that point, I was playing sport. I was going to the gym, so I was quite big at that time. And they'd pegged me as this big old sporting jock. Um, and uh, so I felt awkward and shy. So to be, I sort of hid away in the corner, which probably was interpreted as being arrogant and rude. And uh, I think a few of the guys in Katie's, he actually liked her style, quite jealous of me as well, which sort of built this whole awkwardness that was happening right there at her high school formal. But Katie, Katie loved her friends and uh, appreciated her friends, and she wanted me to meet them to see how great they were. And at the time, uh, when we were dating, Katie liked me, obviously, and she uh, um, uh, saw things in me that she wanted her friends to see, so she got to, they got to see the real person of, of who I was. And Katie wanted us to, to meet and uh, be introduced to one another. And I'm sure you've had people in your life say things like, oh, you've got to come and meet this person, they're amazing, they're great, or you need to meet this person, and you'll love them once you meet them. And introduce you, and they try and introduce you with new people. I want to say that the book of John is really John the author saying to us, 
I want to introduce you to Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. You need to meet Jesus, is what John is saying. John would go even further in saying meeting Jesus is the most important thing that you could ever do, the most important person you could ever meet. You know, if you stop and think for a second, John's just a human being. He's just a, he's just a normal guy like you and I, and he wrote this book. But why did he write this book? I want to show you exactly why John wrote this book, and not in my words, but purely from the mouth of John himself. And seeing this, this whole series will be shaped by John's purpose. Let me show you on the screen. It's from John 20, 30 to 31. John wrote this. Now, Jesus did many other signs, the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Here's the, here's the purpose. But these are written, this whole book is written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of the book of John. That's why John wrote this book. He went to the effort to write this. He wants to show you that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings. And by believing in him, in his name, you may have life and have it to the full. That's John's purpose. That's why he wrote this gospel. And I want to say, that's going to be our purpose as we walk through this series. Looking at that, seeing that, is that true? John wants you to introduce you to Jesus. The Jesus that he met and walked with for three years and he was blown away by him. And his experience with Jesus was nothing but amazement and life for the full. And he wants us to have that same experience. And chapter after chapter, John will keep revealing to you who Jesus is. The King, the Son of God and experiencing life in his name. So I want to say, as we kick off this series, and you still aren't sure where you stand with Jesus, you're still trying to check it out, ask questions, maybe you're, not, you, you, you're, you're drifting, whatever it is, I want to say this is the right place for you. Because over this series, we are going to be looking at Jesus. And John will paint a portrait of who he really is. And you could not get anyone humanly closer to Jesus than, than John, the, the, the Apostle John. He's one of his closest friends. So this is where you need to be. This book has, uh, has this, uh, uh, as I've often said, the book of John has, there's no other book in the Bible that has a more sustained focus on who Jesus is in the Gospel of John. But I also want to say that if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, if you know Jesus, um, please don't think this Gospel of John, this book of John, is just for people trying to check things out. I want to say this book is also for you. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you would know and experience that. You've got to keep on believing. You've got to go on believing every single day. Keep following, keep walking, keep believing in Christ. How do, you, how do you keep walking as a follower of Jesus? How do you combat doubts, feeling flat, feeling distant from God, feeling hurt, wondering if it's worth it, work, worth it anymore? How do you stir your affections for Jesus? How do you be satisfied in God every day? Well, sure, it's meeting Him, seeing Him, being reminded of Him, being reminded of the gospel, what you have in Christ. The fuel for growing and continuing to love Jesus is the gospel. So when Jesus, John says in John, when Jesus says in John 20, 30, 31 that these things are written so you believe that Jesus is the Christ and believe him and have life in his name, he's meaning to write, uh, he's writing to awaken faith in people who don't know him yet and to sustain faith in believers. And in that way lead both to eternal life. There's no better book to help you to do that. John Owen the great church leader and theologian, I think around from the 1600s, uh, was, was getting to the, end, to the end of his life and he knew that. 
And uh, he said that he wanted to prepare himself to die and he wanted to focus on the main reality of the universe, Jesus. And so he said this, he wrote this. He said, the revelation of Jesus, the revelation of Christ deserves the severest of our thoughts, the best of our meditations and the utmost diligence in them. What better preparation can there be for our future enjoyment of the glory of Christ than in constant and previous contemplation of that glory and the revelation that is made in the gospel what we're going to do in this series. And John believes that the Jesus you, re- you read about in this gospel is alive today, he's real, and that he can change your life forever. And that's what we're going to do in this series. But let's, let's have a look together at this gospel. Just briefly, really briefly, how is this book structured? There are 21 chapters. What, what's the purpose of it? How does it work? Um, I want to say there's two halves of the book of John. 1 to 12, and that's known as the book of signs. So in the first 12 chapters, you have Jesus perform seven miracles or seven signs. And after, that's, each sign or miracle is revealing who he is. He often makes a claim about uh, himself after he does a miracle or a sign. And then often the response is either people f- believe and follow, people walk away or get angry or a controversy. That sort of, sort of works in the first 12 chapters. And it all sort of culminates and finishes with the greatest sign, the resurrection of Lazarus, his friend from the dead where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we'll move through these 12 chapters, and on Easter Sunday, we'll look at uh, uh, John 12, and that's where we'll end up the first half. Then after Easter, we'll look at chapters 12 to thir- uh, 13 to 21, known as the Book of Glory. And in these chapters, everything sort of slows right down, and it focuses in on just a, just a week or so, and it's Jesus preparing his followers for his death and resurrection and what it would be like in the world without him. That's sort of how the book is structured, two halves to that. And today we jump into John 1, which Jacob read for us. And we're going to look at a part which is often known as the prologue. It's not really any stories about Jesus. It's John really setting us up for the rest of the book and what he's going to say. It's almost like, a, like an, an overture at the opera, if you know what that is. I, I do, since I Googled it last week. Anyway, an, an overture is a piece of music, if you know, who wouldn't, uh, for the orchestra to play at the beginning of an opera or a ballet, right? So the word comes from this French word of opening. And it's because it opens the show. And the overtures uh, usually have tunes uh, in them which will be heard during the, the rest of the ballet of the opera. So it sort of gets you ready, prepares you for what is going to come in the opera. Chapter, Ascenders 1 to 18 of chapter 1, is, that's what John's doing here. He's getting us ready for what he's going to expand to the rest of the book. And so in these 18 sentences... It's full on. John has got to bring up so many themes and ideas about Jesus. I was looking at some preachers. They spend like four or five months on just these 18 sentences. I'm going to give it to you in 20 minutes. Enjoy that. Um, but it's all about who Jesus is and, and what he has done. And that John, really, for him, everything has clicked for him. He's walked with Jesus for three years, and it's clicked at who Jesus is. And John wants you to get that from the very beginning of who Jesus is. He's going to set it out from the start so there's no confusion. In the first 18 sentences, we're going to get things, amazing truths about, uh, about uh, Jesus and who, who he is, being God, the Trinity, eternal life, salvation, being sent from God, being the Son of God, being full of grace and truth and so on. It's a bit of like a fire hose here. Um, but it's really John trying to unpack, get you ready for the next 21 chapters, like an overture. But really, I just want to do two things today. I want to show you from uh, sentence 1 to 18 who Jesus is and why he came from this chapter. I have to leave this chapter. I'm going to leave a lot out, 
but I think I'm trying to hit the main point here. Now, John comes out of the gates really hard. I want to read to you sentences 1 to 5. Okay? Let's have a look at the screen. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the, li- and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Like Jacob said, very Dr. Zeus-like, but we'll have a look at it. At the very beginning here, John wants to give Jesus these different names, these titles. Different, uh, doesn't this refer to him as Jesus? He gives him different titles, different names, and he starts with the Word. He refers to Jesus as the Word. And in sentence 14, later on, we're going to read that uh, it says the Word became flesh, and it refers to the Word becoming flesh as the Son of God. So we know it's Jesus straight away. But why is he called the Word? Well, in the Old Testament, God was known uh, by and through his Word he gave to people. Uh, He ruled by and through his Word. He created by and through his Word. People came to know him by and through his Word. When Jesus comes, he comes as the final and fullest, most fullest revelation of who God is. The Son of God in flesh is the the God's like most climactic and decisive word to the world. The fullness of God in one human being, Jesus. And so John says in sentence one that the word, Jesus, uh, so, sorry, Jesus is the word. That's, that's describing who he is. But he goes on. John also says in sentence one that the word was there in the beginning. So it says there, um, in, in the beginning was the word. So, and this word uh, in the beginning, this language in the beginning is supposed to make you think, okay, well, that's what was said back in Genesis 1. First, few page, first page of the Bible, it says, in the beginning. So John's trying to help you to think back to creation, saying, oh, what? Well, the Word was there as well. He's saying Jesus was there in the beginning, speaking of creation. So he's not only the Word, but he's also there. He's eternal. Jesus is eternal from end to end. Before any time or matter, when he was created, Jesus was there. But also, Jesus, uh, John wants you to know that Jesus was also there in the beginning, He's the Word, but He also created all things. He says there's nothing in all creation that was made without Jesus. Jesus owns all things, therefore. There's nothing in all creation that Jesus cannot say or claim as mine or as His. That's what John is saying about who this Jesus is. So in the first sentence and a half, almost two sentences, you have John telling us that Jesus is the Word, He's eternal, and He's the Creator. So he's coming hard at the blocks and saying, do you get who Jesus is? But he's not done there. He has more to say. He calls Jesus the light and the life of all people. He's the source of life that brings light to everybody. And no one or anything can ever defeat him or overcome him. But he also calls Jesus and gives him a name that is quite striking. End of sentence one. End of sentence one. says this. And the word was God. Now that couldn't get more, uh, any more simpler, four words, the word was God, but it also could not get any weightier. The word became flesh and dwell among us, Jesus Christ, and was God. God had come to earth, the creator, the supreme ruler, the eternal one, the king of kings, has come to earth. Jesus was God. Jesus is God. I often think about this idea of, if you were in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, walking around Jerusalem, you could have met God. You could have shaken hands with God. You could have a meal with God. 
Because God has come to earth as a human, as Jesus. And really, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other, uh, 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 every other religion. God has become flesh. God has become human. Jesus was the Word. He's eternal. And He's God. But John also says that Jesus was with God. He says, was God with God? He says, John, choose one. It can't be both, mate. Like, which one are you choosing? What are you going with here? Is he was God with God? Which one? He says, both. Well, right here in John 1, you have, is the heart really of the great historic Christian teaching called the Trinity, right here. Now, again, you could spend hours and weeks speaking on this, this topic, this doctrine. We don't have time to do that, but simply let me make this statement uh, that will stand in your mind that Jesus the Word was both with God and He was God. Uh, the Bible teaches there is one God. The Bible, throughout the Bible, there's one God in three persons. Easy, right? Clear and simple. One God, three persons. It's a trinity. That's who God is. Two of the, two of the Godhead are mentioned here, the, the God the Father and God the Son. We learn those names later in the book. And then in John 3, John 14, John 6, and you'll hear about the third member of the Godhead, the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. They are distinct, but they are one. And I know that's really hard for us to get our head around and to think, well, hang on, that makes absolutely no sense to me at all. It's confusing. And I want to say probably this, uh, I want to say for sure that this side of heaven, we won't ever be able to fully understand this. And part of that is God is God. We cannot sit back and look, put God in like little pigeonholes and go, oh, there's God. God is eternal. He's from eternity. He's way more uh, smarter and wiser than we ever are. And God has revealed himself as God in three persons. And that's who he is. And in some part, we've got to believe that and hold on to that. I think sometimes we want to, uh, if we can't understand it, we, we reject it. But this is who God has revealed himself to be. Jesus is God. And I want to say there is so many implications of this. One of them really quickly. If Jesus Christ is not God, he could not pay for the sins of the world. There's no way that could happen. No one human, if Jesus was human, no one human could bear the full wrath of God and stand in our place for sin. He couldn't bear the sins of the world. God would be punishing an innocent third party. That's not God. God punishes himself on the cross for our sin. And he bears the sin. Jesus has to be God for the cross to work. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God. So he's, he's the word. He's eternal, he's the light, he's the life, he's with God, he's credible, and he is God. That is who Jesus is, and that, how, who, that is who um, John is saying that he is. And John's trying to go, do you get this? This is amazing, right? We should be impressed. I wonder if you've met someone that you've, uh, that you've seen, or you've, you've gone, wow, I'm really impressed by them. I want to say regularly, I'm, I, I am impressed by my fellow pastor, Jez, uh, he often does so, he, he does so many things very well. He's intelligent, uh, funny, creative. He loves to do Spartan, which is on really soon. You should get on board with that, right, Jez? Um, but I remember one day I was really impressed by him, and it happened to be when we were studying together at Bible college. And we were in a lecture together, and we were sitting side by side, and Jez had his laptop open, and he had, uh, yeah, I think he might have had an earphone in, listening to music or something, or probably some sort of talk, I don't know. And uh, the lecture was going on as well at the same time. 
So three sort of inputs going on. I can remember him typing away, and he was typing away, he was writing a talk for youth group that night, handling the word of God really correctly at that point, I'm sure, uh, writing a talk for the, for the teenagers that night. And, uh, and so he was typing, listening to music, lecture going on. And then, then halfway through his typing, he stopped and put his hand up. And he asked a question to the lecturer. And I've been sitting in that lecture, not understanding what was going on. And he had earphones in, writing a talk, and still interacted with the, with the teacher. And I think he was being a college student, a, a Bible teacher, and appreciating music all at one time and doing it well. I was very impressed with him at that, that moment. Very impressed. Doing all those things at once. John wants you to see Jesus for who he is. He's all these things at once. He's eternal, the creator. He is God. He is with God. All these things. And he wants you to be utterly impressed by him. That's what he's trying to do here. He's trying to show you and say, this is who Jesus is. Worship him in awe. This is who Jesus is. Let's be utterly impressed by him. John's trying to tell you the most ultimate things about Jesus right up front. Like I said, it took Jesus, it took John three years to figure these things out, but he doesn't want his readers to take more than three sentences to work it out. And he wants us to have in our minds fixed and clear from the beginning of the gospel the eternal majesty, the deity that the, and creator that Jesus really is. That's the point of his first five sentences. Five sentences. He wants us to read this book in a, with, with, with a worshipful, a worshipful humble, awestruck hearts. Reading of God becoming flesh and we read of John 2 at a wedding where he makes water into wine, Jesus. We should go, wow, that's that's the King of Kings. Or where he interacts with a a, a Samaritan woman that he shouldn't be doing at at the well. We should be thinking, well, that's God in the flesh. That's the Creator talking to a woman. Or or, or John 12 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. We should be going, oh, I get it. That's that's Jesus, the King of Kings, the, the Creator. That's what John wants us to do. He wants you to know that God has come to earth. And he doesn't want you to slowly figure it out. He's going to say, this is it. Now read the book in light of that. It's like John is saying, in the very first words, at the end of my pen, I want to stun you and I want to blow you away with the identity of this man Jesus who became flesh and dwelt among you. John wants us to read the gospel in light of that. And he wants you to be blown away by this magnificent saviour. And whatever you may, else you may enjoy about Jesus, he wants you to know and treasure him in his infinite majesty. But do you see what this, the, the, this, this, what this means for our series on the Gospel of John? It means we're going to spend week after week in, up here in your small groups and hopefully for yourself or in the Bible getting to know God. The Bible is God's living and active word. You can meet this Jesus at any time. And we're going to get to know him through this series. Do you, do you want to know God? Do you want to know your Creator? Do you want to know what He thinks? What He thinks of you, of this world we live in? What He's like? I want to invite you to come with us as we journey through the Gospel of John. Invite others in on this. Invite friends who know Him or don't to come and meet Jesus, to meet God in John's Gospel every single week. I want to get excited about this. But secondly, and more briefly, why, why Jesus came. Let me read to you sentences 9 to 18. It says this. Speaking of Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. 
he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the, one, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. John tells us in sentence 9 that the word was coming into the world. Sentence 14, we get this incredible statement that the Jesus, the eternal creator, the one that had become human and become flesh and dwelt among the very creation that he had made. He himself became what he created. And he dwelt among his people. God walking on earth. Living as we lived. Fully human. And John 10 says, uh, John Sen- uh, sentence 10 says that he was in the world, but the world didn't recognize him. Sentence 11, uh, the world did not receive him. And John saw this three years of walking with Jesus closely for three years. Walking for three years, and he saw people reject him again and again and again and again. Even though he was God. People were just saying, no, I want nothing to do with you. You aren't, you aren't the God, and they reject him. And this is really the story of the Bible. It's really our story. It's humanity's story. See, God created the world. He created it good. He created a humanity being in a relationship with him forever. God gave himself for us to enjoy. He gave us the creation to enjoy. And he made it good. But we didn't want it. Humanity rebelled against God and his ways. We wanted to rule, not let God rule. We wanted to assault what was good and evil. We wanted to call the shots rather than God. So we said to God, no thanks. I'm, I'm in charge, you're not. The Bible calls this sin. And, and sin is not just the bad things we do. It's our heart attitude towards God. So just after God created the world and, and humanity, it didn't take long for humanity to reject him. And we read that of the story of Genesis 3, Adam and Eve rejecting God. And because of sin and rebellion and, and, uh, and, and us saying no, our relationship with God is severed. And we are cut off from him, this, the eternal life source. We are, we are cut off from what we were made to be and to do. Our relationship with our creator. And from being his children. And really, if you read the Old Testament, most of the story of the Old Testament is sin and the effects of sin playing out. And humanity trying to work out, how do I get back there? How do I get back to God? The Old Testament is unraveling that. And it seems there could be nothing that anyone can do about it. No way to restore what we were created for. No way to restore God and humanity. But throughout the Old Testament, there is hope. There is hope from God. God knows the problem. He knows the problem of sin. And he promises to fix it one day. And throughout the Old Testament, God keeps promising to send his king, his king, his Messiah, to fix the problem. The one who will deal with sin and deal with death, which plagues us all, deal with Satan, and for once and for all, fix it. And send a sacrifice for sin. And then Jesus comes. The Word becomes flesh. And if we had time, we walk through the rest of chapter 1, but Jesus is called in the rest of chapter 1, He's called the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He has come. He's called the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel. And all this Old Testament language of this promise from God is now being, here it is, it's in Jesus. 
He's arrived. The one that God has promised has come. And John says in, in sentence 10 to 11, the world did not receive him. Sentence 12, he says, but not everyone has rejected him. Those like John believed in his name and those who do, who follow him, it says, John says, Jesus gave them the right to become children of God. God has come to make us who we were meant to be. Children living God, who we created to be. And it's in and only through Jesus that we have the right to become these children again. Knowing our Father, our Heavenly Father, being loved as a child, at peace with our Creator, washed free from guilt and shame and sin, be giving an eternal hope, a future. This is why Jesus came. This is why He put on flesh to rescue us, to save us. God so loves us, so loves you, that He became a human being, lived on earth for 33 years, died on a wooden cross to take away your sin, to restore you as a child of God. And that is good news for everyone. That is good news for us. That is the story of the Bible. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, I just want to remind you of that is who you are. You are a child of God. By Jesus' death and resurrection, He has secured you as His child. And that's forever. There is no, there's nothing anyone can do or say or nothing can snatch you away from, from being a child of God. You can call the creator of the universe Father, Dad. You can be trust that He's working for your good, that He loves you beyond what you understand. And you have a real relationship with Him, relationship with Him right now. It's not just about heaven and pie in the sky. It's now. You have all the benefits of being a child of the King of the universe. You have an internal, internal inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. Because Jesus secured you, giving you the right to be a child of God. And it's all yours through Jesus. And I want to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, take up and know what that means to be a child of God. Let it, let it go deep. Let that be your identity. We, we search and we clamor for meaning and purpose. Jesus is saying, I got it. Here it is, your child. He secured it. And then live in light of that promise, that hope, that, sh- that, that sure identity and take up all the benefits of being a child of God which Jesus secured for you if you aren't sure where you stand with Jesus, you have questions John is asking you do you recognize him again later on in chapter 1 Jesus sees a man named Philip and he says to Philip, looks at him and says Philip follow me, that's all he says is follow me, Philip does Today, Jesus is saying to you, follow me, believe in me, become a child of God through me. And John is writing this book so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing his name, in his name, you may have life to the full. And throughout this book, John will keep introducing you to Jesus again and again and again. He's asking the question, do you recognize me? He's making the introduction. He's going to ask you a question, do you recognize him for who he really is? A friend of mine He's an actor, and he's married, and he has, um, he has two ki- uh, three kids, and uh, he's a good actor. And uh, he's married to, to a, a woman, and uh, this, his wife, he's got to follow me, track with me for a second, his wife's godmother happens to be Hugh Jackman's mum. Thank you, Chelsea. So I thought it was pretty good too. <laughs> this morning, no one said anything. I'm like, Hugh Jackman. And like, anyway, right, whatever, right? Hope you fear. 
Anyway, just the other day, it was Hugh Jackman's mum's birthday. Right? And of course, Hugh Jackman was going to be at this party in Sydney. And of course, uh, Hugh Jackman's mum invited her goddaughter. And so, my friend got invited to a party with Hugh Jackman. Oh my gosh, right? Yeah, right. Come on, you can say it. Good, thank you. Well done, thank you. Anyway, my friend's invited to go. He's an actor. He refused to go. He refused to go. He didn't want to meet Hugh Jackman. He didn't want to be introduced to him or network with him or talk about acting with him. And he said, I'm not going. And he didn't go. Now, who wouldn't want to meet Hugh Jackman? <laughs> who wouldn't want to be introduced to Hugh Jackman, especially if you're an actor? It just seems crazy. Crazy. You know what? In the book of John, you'll be introduced to Jesus. The eternal one, the word, the creator, the king, the source of life, the one who gives you life to the full and gives you the right to become a child of God. He is alive and he is real and he can change your life. And he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Can I encourage you, whether you know Jesus or not, come to know him again or for the first time through the book of John. Spend time reading it for yourself. Spend time coming on a Sunday. Make it a priority. Just get in a small group. Read it with others. Whatever it is, get refreshed. Come to know him. Grow in your love of him. Grow in your assurance of him. Whatever it is. But don't be like my friend who passed up the opportunity and missed the introduction. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you that Jesus is alive, he's real, and he is present by his spirit. We, we, we stand in awe of Jesus, and as the gospel writer John presented to us, that Jesus, you are, you are King of kings, eternal Lord of lords, and you love us. And you've given us the right to become children of God. We want to pray, Father, for wherever we are at, that you would just help us to take up this introduction to act upon what we've just heard. We want to pray this series be a series where we keep coming to know you, Jesus, more and more. That you'd be alive and real as we open the Bible, as we jump into small groups, whatever it is. We know that deep down and that in our hearts, in our, our minds, we, want, we, we are made to know you and in you is life. And so we want to pray, Father, that, that we would believe that and act upon that. So Lord, we want to pray that this would happen. We people who want to come to love you more. We want to pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week we uh, take time to reflect on what God has said to us. You might want to pray right